When planning the road to success, there are a few steps to keep in mind. Identifying and solving the cause, facing and embracing change, goal setting, and being accountable. We'll talk about this today on Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. New and healthier habits lead to prosperity in all areas of your life and business. Now, here's your host, Chris Salem. Well, good morning and welcome to the Sustainable Success Radio Show. It's a beautiful day here in the Northeast and I hope the same for you. Uh, Sustainable Success is gaining some ground. We've had some great experts on our show over the last few weeks and we have one today, but I just wanted to give you a quick background. My name is Chris Salem. I'm your host. I'm an international best-selling author of the book, Master Your Inner Critic, Resolve the Root Cause, Create Prosperity. This book gave me the idea to spawn the idea of the radio show, Sustainable Success, and had the privilege of aligning this show and content with Jeff Spinard and the crew at Voice America, and here we are today. And it's a pleasure to have this show to be able to share with you content as to what sustainable success is and what that means to you. Again, that is, again, putting your wellness first and having that aligned with your business goals and success. Today, we're going to be discussing the topic of sustainable success requires will and skill. And our guest today, an expert, is Brian Graken. And I'll give you a little background about Brian. He's the originator and author of Meconomics 101, 16 Ways to Improve Your Marketing, Selling, and Business Management for Today's Consumers. Brian has authored over 75 training programs in his 20-year award-winning experience helping businesses and individuals increase revenues and profits through better marketing and selling strategies and skill development. I'd like to welcome Brian Graken. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Chris. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Great. A pleasure to have you here. And we've had some conversation about Meconomics, and I'm sure a lot of people would like to find out more of what that means and how that applies to sustainable success. But before we get into that a little later, we're we're talking about the main topic here of sustainable success requires will and skill and how true that is. Can you tell us um, your feedback and insight as to what will has to do when it comes to sustainable success? Will is the source of motivation. You know, you can have a ton of skill, and if you don't have the motivation to apply it properly, uh, you're not going to be successful. It's kind of like an athlete who uh, has tremendous uh, abilities but doesn't practice and doesn't exercise and doesn't study the game plan. Uh, it won't help him succeed. And so you need that combination, the motivation, and behind that, the confidence in your skills to actually go and then apply your skills in the business case for the good of your customer. Yeah, I, I agree so much. And I think that there's there has to be preparation when it comes to will. I mean, it's a lot of times people feel that if they are, you know, if they do have the will on some level, that things will just come. But they have to have, there has to be determination. There ha- they have to understand that it's a process. Can you provide some insight as to that? Yeah, I enjoy watching some of the uh, reality TV shows that are the dance competitions and the singing competitions and so forth. And, you know, everybody who's on those when they're interviewed says, oh, you know, I really want to win this competition. Boy, what I could do with a million dollars. But it becomes obvious that some people have skills or have practiced more than other people uh, in backing up their motivation, what they want. And, and that's the combination of will and skill and the hard work that goes into being ready for the moment when it arrives. 
Great. Well, we when we when it comes to sustainable success, we know that wellness plays an important role in this process. And I think a lot of times when people hear the term wellness, they just automatically assume that must be the way they look, how they feel in terms of the physical side of wellness. But we all know that there's more, there's eight pillars of wellness. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the wellness side and how this plays a part in with the will. Sure. And, you know, like you mentioned, uh, we tend to think of wellness as the health side of things. Uh, we might call that the physical pillar. And maybe to some degree there's emotional health as well, and there's an emotional pillar of wellness. But beyond that, there are many other pillars that apply. Uh, balance in your life. You know, work-life balance is, is a common phrase. Do people really achieve that? And even balance within their work career. Uh, the things they do as an individual, the things they do as a member of team, their leadership roles, their follower roles, uh, balancing all of those. Uh, there's social balance that we need to achieve uh, as you interact with other people. And certainly business is people to people. Whether we call it business to consumer, business to business, whatever labels we put on it, it's always people to people meeting the needs of people. I once uh, talked with a leader of a business who, you know, talked about earnings, and uh, there's nothing that happens unless it happens through or for people. Uh, that's how you achieve earnings. You know, earnings don't achieve themselves. You have to have uh, that social interaction, as well as other pillars. So they all apply in an individual basis, but they apply in business as well, whether you're an individual in business or you're a member of a team in business. You have to have team wellness as well. No, that's absolutely true. I mean, when I did the first show on the eight pillars of wellness, you know, all these pillars, the eight pillars, especially four, have to be congruently working together and be in alignment because if one is off, it affects the other, you know, and that could be social wellness, that can be emotional wellness, spiritual wellness, physical wellness. And then there's the others that are not, you know, they're, they're kind of on the back back end of it, that being financial wellness intellectual wellness, occupational wellness, and environmental wellness. But it's so true, not only from an individual level, but also from a team level, that if everybody were operating with a proper balance of wellness within themselves and coming together, that that could have tremendous positive results on on their business unit or the business itself overall. And it's so important that that wellness play an important role when it comes to uh, will. And uh, that is so true. Anything else to add to that? Well, just that, uh, you know, will, the motivational factor is kind of a culmination of wellness, I think. Uh, having a couple of the pillars and trying to apply them may not uh, prepare you uh, that when you have the motivation, you try to apply the skills and achieve your business goals. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, as we know that, you know, we have to have will to have sustainable success, but without skill, it can't be sustainable, right? So when it comes to skill, uh, Brian, let us know what, what your insight is on the skill side of sustainable success. Well, one of my favorite sayings is that the word dollar starts with the word do. You know, in business, success isn't only about what you know, it's about what you do. And skills are really the application of your knowledge, your expertise, your experience, your interest in the customers. You need to focus on what you do. Uh, knowledge turned into skill can then become performance. And how does it go from skill to performance? That's the motivation. That's the will when it's applied. 
And let me give you a few examples of uh, the difference between knowledge and skill development. Uh, let's say, Chris, that you were interested in learning how to parachute jump out of an airplane. And I was an expert parachute jumper. And I took you into a room, and there was a big table, and I told you everything you needed to know about how to pack a parachute. I even showed you how to do it, how I do it. And then I said, good luck. And are you now ready and confident that you can jump out of an airplane with a parachute that you packed yourself and survive? That is a good example, absolutely. You've got and you know, a, a lot of knowledge. I just gave you all my knowledge. But there's more to skill development than just knowledge. And there's more to success uh, when it comes to applying the skill. You might instead want to pack a parachute on that table 10 times under my observation. Uh, yeah. I correct things you may not be doing right. And, and it's another 10 times doing it exactly right before we say, okay, let's take that parachute you packed and throw it off a building with a brick attached and see how it does. And then maybe we do some more and we buddy jump and you jump off of a tire because, oh, yeah, you have to learn how to land. You know, and there's other skills involved. And after some extended uh, procedure, maybe then you have the skills and you have the motivation. You've always had the motivation. Now you have the skill to actually jump out of an airplane with a parachute and survive it. Or maybe uh, I like magic. And so maybe you want to be able to do that trick where a magician puts himself inside a box with explosives and they set off the explosives and the magician somehow survives uh, the event, right? Again, I could show you how to do it, but maybe you want a little bit of practice on the wiring and the false walls that are built into that and the timing sequence. And we do that over and over, maybe with small amounts, maybe with balloons that pop instead of actual explosives on and on until you've developed the skill. That's the skill development I'm talking about that goes well beyond me as an expert telling you how to do it which unfortunately is how a lot of skill development is, is attempted in business. People are told what to do. They aren't really given a chance to practice, rehearse, coaching, feedback, and uh, good success criteria that then give them confidence they can do it right. Now, will and skill combined can lead to performance and business success. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things in just generally in life or in business where, you know, we're always told, you know, how, when, and why to do things but we're not shown by example or we're not held accountable for our skill. And a lot of times we're not instructed to really follow our strengths rather than our weaknesses. We're kind of told that you need to improve upon your weaknesses. So those are all very important and those are great, great inputs. So what would you say, Brian, and when it comes to, you know, accountability with skill, I mean, because again, you have to apply that knowledge. You can't just the knowledge itself can't be sustainable. It has to be applied. And and the way to apply it is obviously you have to be empowered. You have to be inspired to do it and, and, and have it play into your strengths rather than your weaknesses. That's where teamwork comes in because the strengths offset others' weaknesses and other people's strengths offset your weaknesses. So what would be your input on that when it comes to the, uh, the will and skills side of sustainable success? Well, we all want to have complementary skills on a business team in particular. You know, I use sports metaphors. A basketball team has short guys and tall guys, and they have different roles and different strengths. Uh, it's a particularly uh, interesting area to me when you say, you know, people focus on their weaknesses and try to fix them. Uh, that leads to the concept of training or skill development as punishment, which is one of the reasons in business it often fails. Rather than what are your strengths, let's put you in a position to take advantage of your strengths. Let's go to the gym. Let's go to the training class and work on your strengths and make them even stronger. 
And now as a business leader, if I combine your strengths with somebody else's strengths so that the team has everything it needs, then we're going to have business success. Absolutely. How true that is. So I like to, uh, as we expand on this, you know, for business sustainability, it requires customer focus. So in terms of with the way we, we've understand how the will and skill work when it comes to that, but when we're looking at business sustainability, tell me how, why we have to, requ- it requires more customer focus more than ever. Well, customers have the money. <laughs> so unless they're motivated to spend it on your business and your offering, uh, nothing's good is going to happen for your business. And because customers have the money, unless we satisfy their wants and needs and do that better than competitors, we can't really have a sustainable business. You know, our whole conversation is about sustainable success. To have a sustainable business, customer focus, meeting customers' wants and needs, and I intentionally put wants first. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes, I think. And you have to do that better than competitors. You know, classically, marketers talk about satisfying customers' needs states. Uh, And that's okay, uh, because customers need things. Maybe you can have a business satisfying them. But I think it's much more powerful to satisfy customers' wants states, because wants states tend to be aspirational and emotional. If you're satisfying somebody's needs states, they need to have water to drink, uh, chances are they'll go looking for the cheapest water they can find. But if you're after somebody's wants states and they're looking for a really interesting new, new something to drink, uh, you may be able to sell a higher priced, higher profit product because of what they want. Wants are emotional, they're aspirational, and I think that's a better place to target our business strategies towards wants states. No, that is so true when it comes to wants because you mentioned the emotional side and, and that's where really people connect. They connect when they're looking for a solution, they're looking for something that's going to you know, address that emotion that they're currently in. And usually it's something, it could be a negative emotion and they want to make it positive. So if there is something that you provide that satisfies their want on an emotional level, they're more likely to not raise the objections that are common like price and that don't don't have the time because now they can see the solution in front of them. If it's yeah. uh, their needs, like you said, I mean, it comes down to, well, I'm just going to be shopping around for the price, and it doesn't matter if I get it from company A, company B, company C. It really doesn't matter. So for a company to really distinguish itself and really stand out, if it does have competition, it has to do a very good job of addressing wants for that long-term sustainability. Yeah, I'm going to take a bit of a risk here. You didn't know this question was coming your direction. But the last okay. time you bought a car, Chris, did you spend more money than you planned on spending? I actually, it, well, it, it, I guess what it the last time I ended up spending a little bit more, but it, 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 it's gone, you know, in the past, it's been either or. Yeah, nine times out of ten when I ask somebody that question, they say, yes, I did. And then I say, why? And they say, well, I found something I really wanted. And so I went out and I found the extra money. That's well, that's just it. I really wanted this truck I had. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted that moonroof. I really wanted the speaker or the video system. I really wanted Bluetooth. That's becoming standard. But, uh, you know, based on our wants, we often are much more motivated than based on our needs. And that's a good place to be in terms of your business if you can understand and then deliver on the customer's wants. Great. Well, hey, uh, we're going to be going to break here, Brian, in about le- less than three minutes. I'd like you to give me, you know, any personal insight from you, you know, with your business that you've had when it comes to business sustainability with focusing on customer f- focus. Anything, anything else you can elaborate on? Yeah, one of the strategies I chose when I started my business 
was that I was going to provide outstanding customer service, and my business model is based on repeat and referral business. Uh, so at any point in time, I intentionally limit the number of clients I serve so that I can provide outstanding service and quality uh, to those clients. That's in the direction of satisfying somebody's wants in addition to their needs. Because clients want quality. They want their money's worth. And so what can we do in business to make sure that our clients want to give us repeat and referral business? Now, your listeners may not have a repeat referral business strategy depending on the type of business they're in. But that's a great place to be because customers come with pre-approved loyalty, if you will, based on what you've provided. And, and you're tapping into the emotion. Uh, if a customer is confident in your services, that's one less thing for them to worry about. They sleep better at night. Uh, they feel that their money is being more effectively spent on whatever services or goods you offer. It's a good place to be in business to make sure you understand the customer's wants and, and work on that emotional level with them and satisfy not only their needs but their wants as well. That is so true. And, the, and, the, and there is a strategy to, when it comes to this. You know, you look at some companies like Apple and, and really how they, they're, they're masters at aligning their products and services to people's wants, not just needs. I mean, like you said, I mean, there's plenty of phones out there, plenty of gadgets, but they really tap into the experience and the emotional side of, of what people desire and what they do, whether if it's in their personal lives and in their business. And it's so important that, it, you know, if, if somebody is an entrepreneur or a business leader running a business unit or running a company, that in order to have that long-term sustainability, you have to really look at how are you positioning your message and your connection and what's your dialogue with your customers in connecting to their wants rather than their needs. And that is so very important. And well, we're going to be getting into some more stuff on this and I can't wait for the next segment of the show. After our break, we're going to be learning what Meconomics is. And I can't wait. This is a term that uh, Brian originated. It is trademarked and we'll be uh, discussing what Meconomics means as it applies to sustainable success when we come right back. So uh, welcome to the Sustainable Success Radio Show, and we'll be back here in three minutes. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. What is balance? It's being true to your purpose and not being distracted by shiny objects, surrounding yourself with family and loved ones, nurturing your spirituality, maintaining healthy balance of emotional and physical wellness, and being present in the moment. Chris Salem creates awareness about unblocking mindset barriers for sales professionals, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and all types of people to have sustainable success at the next level. The solution evolves out of the problem or challenge. The issue is that many people and businesses manage the effect but do not address the root cause. You now have an opportunity to live your life and operate your business in the solution rather than the effect of your challenges. Schedule a time to chat about your goals and the person you desire to be by going to ChristopherSalem.com. We have group consulting calls, one-on-one, and other programs to assist you. It will be the best thing you do for yourself to see how sustainable success is possible for you in your life and business. Join us at the next level. Visit ChristopherSalem.com. 
Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now, back to Sustainable Success. Welcome back to Sustainable Success Radio Show. Again, my name is Chris Salem, your host. Again, we have uh, Brian Graken, uh, the originator of the term Meconomics, on the, on the call today with us. And we before the break, we were talking about how companies that are kind of like the leading edge of, of all, most companies, like companies like Apple, that really understand their customers, understand their experiences and their wants, and how they're able to take existing clients and then upsell new products and new services that better relate to their experiences or make their experiences more enjoyable. And I feel that with where we left off with that, the the topic that we're going to be discussing here on the second leg called Meconomics, I'd like to find out, Brian, how that, how that would work into this Apple example that we, we left off with. Sure. I, I find it fascinating that uh, when a new iPhone comes out, they release a new version about once a year. Uh, typically, 70 to 80% of the initial sales of that new model of the iPhone go to people who already have an iPhone that's working just fine. If Apple was focused on their customers' needs, uh, people wouldn't buy a new phone because their old one makes phone calls, they can download videos, listen to music, send pictures, you know, all that kind of stuff. But they tap into the emotional needs people have for the bigger screen, the smaller screen, the sharper screen, the faster processor, whatever it is that people want. And that becomes the basis for a lot of successful sales, uh, which, which then really gets us into the subject of, so what the customers want and what are their buying habits? And that's what Meconomics is all about. Well, great. Well, can you get, provide like a definition quick for Meconomics? I mean, you kind of get briefly stated there, but just a more like more defined definition. So that way we can, you know, the people can resonate what that term means since it might be new to a lot of the listeners. Sure. Meconomics is an integrated set of marketing, selling, and staffing strategies that really are based on consumer buying habits. And, and I'll take you back a few years in terms of the, the genesis, the beginning of Meconomics. Uh, a number of years ago, I was in a financial planning class. I was thinking of starting my own business, and uh, there were people in the class there with various financial needs. And there was a woman in the, business, in the class who uh, every third week or so, uh, skip class. And yet every class she would arrive crying, leave crying because of her severe financial problems. I call her Martha. And Martha missed a class once. I tried filling her in on what we did when she was gone. And I said, by the way, where were you? 
And she said, my financial problems are so deep and so severe, uh, I have to relieve the stress. And so I jetted off to Miami Beach, stayed on the beach, rented a sports car, went out to some shows and nice restaurants. And for a couple days, I didn't have a care in the world. And, you know, she then broke down because she realized she had just made her problem even worse. So that was the very first time I asked myself, why do people make some of the decisions they do? Fast forward a little bit. We're in the middle of the recession. I was doing some work uh, for Coca-Cola. And driving back home from Coca-Cola's offices in downtown Atlanta, sometimes I'd stop at a local shopping mall, and I'd stop for dinner, or I had a few errands to run or whatever. And if it was on a Friday after a Friday afternoon meeting, I noticed I couldn't find a parking place. And the restaurants were crowded, and the nail salons had lines out into the hall, and the massage parlor in the, in the mall was, was booming. And I'm saying to myself, there's a recession. What's going on here? You know, people, it's crowded. And so that raised the question in my mind of, are there any businesses that are actually recession-proof? And these businesses, the examples I just mentioned, like salons and restaurants, what are they doing from a strategy standpoint that's helping them become recession-proof? And that was really the beginning of my research uh, into what has become economics. Wow, that's fantastic. And and it's so interesting, you know. I like, I love the term. It it's it, it's very catchy, and and I think it's something I you know a lot of people are going to be able to connect with if they haven't already. And so, if you can expand upon, you gave some examples. Now, you talk about um, the three lenses when it comes to economics. Can you expand upon what the three lenses are? Yeah, and maybe I can best do that with with some examples. Uh, that lead sure. to those three lenses. You know, I mentioned a few types of businesses, uh, nail salons, restaurants, but on that list of recession-proof companies were also companies like tattoo parlors and luxury car manufacturers, Starbucks, cosmetics manufacturers. And so now, given that, let me give you a few current examples. These are all from the last couple months of people's marketing and advertising slogans, and that'll lead us to the three lenses, because I think there's three themes that these recession-proof companies were and other companies are using. Uh, The Lexus company for its IS model is currently saying the outspoken new Lexus IS. I didn't know that cars could be outspoken, but maybe drivers are outspoken. This is a bold statement, right? Blue Apron, which uh, sends you food, says, inside everyone is an incredible cook. H&R Block recently said, get your taxes won, W-O-N. Apparently taxes are a competition between you and the government. And Pantene uh, Hair Products now says, strong is beautiful. One of the themes running consistently through those examples and many others is the concept of self-image. So that's the first lens in the economics model. A company that helps you create or appeals or reinforces your self-image, apparently that's a strong advertising campaign. And you will also see that uh, running through my examples are automobile companies who spend tens of millions of dollars on market research to figure out what people want and how to leverage that in their marketing. So you'll see that come up. But that's the first lens, self-image. A few examples in the second lens area, Alfa Romeo, another car vehicle, is currently saying, Escape from monotony. That's what their vehicles are all about. Apparently not about transportation, but about how you feel about life and keeping from being bored. Uh, The Ross Company, Ross Dress for Less retail stores, uh, their slogan is experience the treasure hunt. You go into a Ross store, you're not sure what you're going to find, but it's going to be clothing at attractive prices, may or may not find anything you like, but they're experiencing the treasure hunt. They are promising you entertainment. 
and Escape from Monotony, the Alfa Romeo commercial, is also promising you entertainment. So the second lens in economics is entertainment. And a couple examples of the third lens, uh, Fiji water is currently saying Earth's finest water. You know, back in chemistry class, we learned that water was H2O, but apparently Fiji has Earth's finest water, and you probably deserve the best, so if you think you deserve the best, that's the one they're telling you to get. And Range Rover, another automobile, their slogan right now is luxury awaits. Nothing about horsepower, nothing about transportation, not a, nothing about trunk size, luxury awaits. That's the third lens in economics being illustrated, which I call pampering. So I talk in terms of lenses because this is how you can look at the marketplace and look at your customers yeah. and their wants and their buying habits. But those three lenses are self-image, entertainment, and pamper. And if you can target those and provide those, those are strong business strategies these days as proven by recession-proof companies and many companies since. Wow, that, that's, that, is, that is great insight. And when it comes to these lenses, I mean, which, which lens is most powerful? In my experience, the self-image lens is the most powerful. I I think that's at the core of who a a customer is, a consumer is, uh, a buyer is. Uh, And it looks to me like 50 to 60% of the advertising that's out there uh, is using the self-image lens, uh, and the rest is using entertainment or pamper. Although I must say that people who are able to combine two or even all three of those lenses have an even stronger position than somebody that's using just one. Gotcha. Okay. And and how many should, if you're a company or a brand in itself, I mean, how many should we use? Should we use one or all three? Or uh, Again, the more the merrier, but I would make sure I had a very solid understanding of the self-images of my target customers. And I would target my marketing to those self-images. And, and let me give you a few examples of what I mean by self-image. Uh, I'm not talking demographics. Uh, I'm not talking about the customer's age, gender, income level, uh, geographic location. I'm talking about what I like to call emographics, the emotional composition of the customer. And here are some self-image examples, and I'll illustrate with a few slogans targeted at them. One customer self-image is the I deserve it customer, the best for me because I deserve it. I work hard. I deserve it. And uh, the L'Oreal company, for example, beauty products, uh, has as a slogan, because we're worth it, you deserve the best. Boar's Head Lunch Meats targets that same customer with compromise elsewhere. Don't compromise on your lunch meat. So they're playing to that I deserve it self-image. Another one is uh, I'm an individual. And uh, here at Club Tattoo, it's a tattoo parlor in Las Vegas. I love their slogan. It says, it's not just a tattoo, it's a lifestyle. Uh, and you're an individual, yes. so you got to get exactly the right tattoo for you. Or maybe uh, a third one is, I'm a trendsetter. That's the customer's self-image. So it might be, uh, when all signs point in one direction, you can choose to go with the crowd. Or you can go your own way. You're a trendsetter. And that's a car company. That's another car company. So those are examples of what I mean by self-image, and it's the concept of emographics. So if I understand or target a particular self-image, now I can really get laser-focused with my marketing as well as my offering to deliver what that self-image is looking for. Wow, yeah. So tell us about you know, the integrated strategy. Now, when it, if we're getting into the marketing side, uh, and I guess there, you could fill us in on how that works. Sure. If you think about three touch points, customer touch points in the business, there's your marketing, where you hopefully generate interest and uh, expectations on the part of the customer. 
there's your sales process, whatever it happens to be, and then there's the people who operate the sales process. Three customer touch points, marketing, selling, and staffing, and that's why I talk about those three topics in my book and why I think it's important to integrate. Because if your marketing created an expectation, uh, we have a luxury shopping environment and you'll get great personal service and advice from experts. And they come in and your sales process doesn't really deliver that in terms of your store layout, your staffing levels, the qualifications of your staff, their interest in providing those services to the customer. Uh, or your hiring process doesn't hire people who have those interests, uh, then it's not going to be a good situation for the customer. If their expectations are not met, they're going back and they're shopping online. They don't need the bother of talking to you because it becomes just about the stuff. So that's why it's important, I think, to integrate with one umbrella strategy, which I call economics, across those three customer touch points in your business. Great. And uh, would you like to, you know, uh, talk a little bit about, I mean, you know, when we got the marketing, the selling, the staffing. Um, would you want to elaborate any further with any examples that could uh, provide the listeners even more greater insight? Yeah, I'll talk very briefly about each of those three areas. When it comes to marketing strategies, I'm an advocate for doing an audit of your customer's self-images. Maybe you have that based on past sales. Maybe you can do that starting today. Maybe going forward you're going to do that audit, but pay attention to what their self-image is. Uh, you know, Classically, you might look at, gee, the customer drove up in a luxury car, so they've got a lot of money to spend, that kind of thing. Well, but they still might be somebody who's interested in, I want to save money here. I want great products, but at the cheapest price. So do an audit of your customers from a self-image standpoint and then adjust your marketing messages accordingly. When it comes to uh, selling, uh, I like to change the classic sales process a little bit. You know, we used to talk about qualifying the customer when we're talking to them. Uh, that's gone by the boards. The customer has qualified you online, and they're giving you a chance at their business by contacting you. So we need to take a different approach to that, which is learning about the customer and helping them learn about us and why we're the right company to do business with. Uh, in a similar vein, we've classically talked about handling objections as part of the sales process. Uh, like there's something unsavory on the floor and you better put on some latex gloves and pick it up. Let's handle this. Uh, rather, I like to think in terms of resolving or resolving the customer's concerns. If they're not buying yet, there may be something that we didn't do or we missed or we haven't touched on. So let's go back and think about the learning process, the solutions we proposed, and resolve, present a new, perhaps expanded solution to the customer to meet their needs. And then third, when it comes to staffing, I think it starts with the hiring process. Many businesses will interview candidates based on their experience. You know, how many years have you sold this? What kind of margins did you sell at? What's your closing rate? Whatever. But probably don't ask questions like, tell me about a time when a customer really complimented your service. What did you do that made the customer feel special and give you that compliment? Or we're going to target customers who want to be pampered. How do you feel about customers who want to be pampered? And if the uh, person you're interviewing says, oh, I can't stand them, you know, they're just snotty and I, I don't like to deal with them. Well, if your strategy is you want to go after customers that want to be pampered, you've just learned that's not a person to hire. So it's, it's a deeper and complementary set of questions you might ask as part of your hiring process. Marketing, selling, and staffing integrated, put in place the messages, the process, and the people to help you be successful with these strategies. Wow, that is great. This is a great oversight of economics here, uh, Brian. What I was going to say, we have about less than three minutes to our next break, so I wanted to see if there are any 
companies or entrepreneurs are desiring to bring their their businesses to another level, what can they do right now based upon this information that they can start incorporating Meconomics into their strategy to increase their business? Well, first I would suggest that people don't try to do everything at once, but focus on a couple things. When they're successful, you've now improved the profitability of your business, and you can do a few more things, and it becomes a self-funding improvement to your business. And the first couple things I think people ought to do is do that self-image audit of your customer base, starting yesterday or starting today. Look at your sales process, and particularly changes you make to your sales process in the future. Do they make the process more enjoyable for the customer? And a subset of that is at least make it simpler and more transparent for the customer. And then third, look at your staffing and in particular your hiring questions. And then related to that, does the training you provide reinforce these strategies or is it just about product and accounting? Uh, Make sure you focus on the customer. Those three things, self-image audit, sales process changes, and uh, staffing and training to make sure you have the capabilities. Wow, that is so true. And I think, like I said, I think with a lot of companies or, you know, overall, a lot of times they probably look at doing everything all at once and it is a process, but it's a necessary process if they're going to have that sustainability. And the thing about sustainability is recognizing that, you know, success is a process. It's not something that you're going to get, you know, become a master at all these different areas overnight. It takes time. And, and sometimes there's going to be trial and error. I mean, there's going to be times where things don't work well, but, but if we strive towards uh, excellence rather than perfection, we reduce that anxiety and we're able to take uh, each day with smaller attainable goals to get to where we want to be. And, and I could see where this really plays an important role uh, here. Brian, we have about 30 seconds to the next break. Any other um, uh, feedback that you would like to provide before we go to break on economics? Yeah, just to piggyback on a, a comment you made. Uh, you know, striving for perfection will always give you an excuse not to act because I'm not quite ready. I don't know how it's going to work. You know, this may not be exactly right. You'll never know. Uh, but using the kind of strategies we've been talking about, particularly the customer focus and focus on self-images, I think can help people really uh, have something they can act on, start seeing results, and then improve on going forward. Great. Well, we're going to be heading into the next break. You're listening to the Sustainable Success Radio Show with our special guest, Brian Graken, and we'll be right back after the break. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. What is balance? It's being true to your purpose and not being distracted by shiny objects, surrounding yourself with family and loved ones, nurturing your spirituality, maintaining healthy balance of emotional and physical wellness, and being present in the moment. Chris Salem creates awareness about unblocking mindset barriers for sales professionals, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and all types of people to have sustainable success at the next level. The solution evolves out of the problem or challenge. 
The issue is that many people and businesses manage the effect but do not address the root cause. You now have an opportunity to live your life and operate your business in the solution rather than the effect of your challenges. Schedule a time to chat about your goals and the person you desire to be by going to ChristopherSalem.com. We have group consulting calls, one-on-one, and other programs to assist you. It will be the best thing you do for yourself to see how sustainable success is possible for you in your life and business. Join us at the next level. Visit ChristopherSalem.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1 866 472 5795. Again, that's 1 866 472 5795. Or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now, back to sustainable success. Well, good morning, or uh, good actually, yes, good morning, wherever you are here in the United States. We want to welcome you back to the Sustainable Success Radio Show with my special guest. Brian Graken, the originator of the term Meconomics and how that applies to sustainable success. Before we get into the uh, next leg of our discussion, uh, I believe we have a caller. Hello? Can you, can you, hello? Uh, hi, Chris. This is Asha Sethi. I'm an education consultant. Great show. And oh, thank you, thank you so my- much. It's a Asha, it's show. a pleasure and, pleasure to have you on the show and calling in. Thank you so much. So what is your question today for uh, Brian and myself? I am an education consultant with a web presence. So my question is about social media. And my question, how can these strategies help us be more effective with social media marketing? Okay, great. Br- Brian, would you like to address... Well, I sure would. I'm, Asha, thank you very much for the question. Uh, every time I'm I hear going to people, hang up and listen to Brian. Thank you. Every time I hear people talk about social media marketing, they talk about the different platforms that are available, the number of people who have accounts, how much time people spend on those platforms, et cetera, et cetera. And they always, somewhere in the conversation, say, and don't forget, content is king. Uh, provide value to the people that you're connecting with. Content is king. And I've not heard one yet talk about what content we ought to be providing. And so I think the connection between these strategies and social media marketing is uh, your self-image audit, your sales process, your focus on entertainment, your desire to pamper the customers, give you content strategies. They guide you in the direction of what should I be talking about, what content should I be providing based on my target self-images and how they want to be entertained and pampered. So that's the connection I see. It's a content strategy, and these will guide your content development. Yeah, I would elaborate on what 
Brian just said, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Brian, that content is king. And sometimes, you know, I, I, you know, content is, is so important, but sometimes I feel that content is really queen, the queen in context is the king, meaning that how you apply that content rather than the content itself is really what I think it's a lot of times is, is the, the, the misalignment with, with connecting with, with consumers or customers is that contextual side. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes we get daily or multiple times a day messages from people that we've gotten some content from. Uh, that's overboard unless you've got the context right, and they're really interested in however much contact you want to have with them. Then you're providing value, not just badgering them. So I think these things fit together nicely. Oh, that's great. And I want to thank Asha for calling in uh, to state that question, because I think that was highly valuable in terms of how what, it, what applied to when we were discussing prior to the break uh, the uh, the concept of economics. So I'm happy, uh, Brian, you were able to address that for her and other listeners that maybe had that same question that maybe just didn't didn't have time to contact on the phone. So I'd like to get uh, break into the next uh, segment of our topic today, and that is uh, strategies to fight the retail apocalypse. Can you t- to talk to our listeners today what that means? You can't go a day without headlines that stores are closing left and right. Just this morning, I read that Sears has announced an additional 72 stores closing. That means within the last five years, they're close to having closed 50% of their Sears and Kmart and auto repair locations. Other names on that list of places that are closing stores are Macy's, uh, Sports Authority, Ralph Lauren, Office Depot, Aero Postal, uh, many different types of stores closing left and right. And that's got to give everybody pause. It's going to be as stressful, I think, going forward as the recession was in the past. And one thing they're going to have in common is a lot of stores closed during the recession and a lot are going to close because of the retail apocalypse. Uh, That's also true of shopping malls, which are collections of retail locations. So there are estimates that, uh, you know, we're in the process of losing about a third of our shopping malls. And many other shopping malls are having to find strategies to survive uh, because retail is changing. Uh, The term retail apocalypse has been applied to that. Maybe that's a dramatic overstatement. And if you really want to worry, maybe it's not a dramatic overstatement of what's happening to the world of retail. And yet, well, that, that, that's a great, great answer. And real quick, uh, Brian, there was a slight pause before you, you might've been, I don't know if there was a, a, a disconnect just for about 10 seconds, but can we couldn't hear what retail apocalypse, could you just define that again for the audience so they can just know what that means? And then obviously you gave some great examples with the businesses and then the state of affairs for shopping malls. Sure. Retail apocalypse is a term that's being applied broadly to uh, how many retail store locations are closing these days, uh, driven by e-commerce, but maybe other trends as well. So if you're in the retail business serving customers that way, it's worrisome because there's a lot of change happening. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I could see that all around me. I mean, you look at, you know, Sears and Kmart and and all these stores. I mean, it's just happening everywhere. Um, what businesses right now in this segment are adding stores? Or yeah, not everybody's shutting everything down. I mean, retail, brick-and-mortar retail does not have to die, apparently. And let me give you some examples of stores that are adding locations. Ulta Beauty is one of those. Uh, the Five Below chain of stores, uh, Marshalls, TJ Maxx, and Home Goods, they're owned by the same parent company. They're adding stores. Dollar General, Aldi, 
Costco, even Petco are adding stores. And of course, there's Starbucks. Starbucks is expected to add about 12,000 new locations in the next five years. So not everybody is shutting down stores. And that's my current area of interest and research. What are they doing that's allowing them to grow and add brick-and-mortar locations while everybody else is shutting them down? And I think these three economic strategies apply looking forward as well as they do back to the recession and current business. Well, I, I it absolutely. I mean, I'm sure you're going to expand upon this here shortly, but I can definitely see how those examples that you've just cited how those companies, in terms of how they take their content and message, but make it contextual to align and connect with people's experience and emotions rather than their needs. So that uh, I'm sure that's what you're going to expand upon here, and, and our listeners would love to hear that. Yeah, and let me uh, use Ulta Beauty as an example we can delve into a little deeper because it touches all the bases. Back during the recession, one of their marketing slogans was, why should hair be one-dimensional when you're not? It appealed to a self-image that says, I'm intriguing, I'm special. Fast forward to today, what are they doing in their business that's letting them grow? And and by the way, it's very important that I mention that their e-commerce business is growing enormously as well at the same time as they're adding brick-and-mortar locations. So they're using a successful omni-channel strategy, which may be what all retailers have to do going forward to meet the needs of various customers. But I can't think of a business type that's more tuned in to a customer's self-image than a cosmetics company or a cosmetics retailer uh, because of the role that cosmetics play in helping us feel better about ourselves and how we present ourselves uh, to other people in the world. So there's definitely a self-image play at work here. But they also provide an interesting slash entertaining environment where you can see so many different types of products and look at so many colors and try things on. You know, yeah, they have a great e-commerce business. Perhaps once you know exactly what lipstick you want, but it's probably hard to hold a piece of clothing up to your laptop and look at the lipstick colors and decide which one's right to coordinate with it. But in a store, you can do that, and you have someone to help guide you through that, and it can become an adventure. And they're even adding in a lot of Ulta Beauty locations, beauty services now. Get your hair cut, your nails done, etc. as part of the experience, making it even more of a destination and providing that pampering experience. So Ulta Beauty is, is touching all of the bases, self-image, entertainment, and pamper. And Ulta Beauty is growing in leaps and bounds. And classically, cosmetics companies, Mary Kay and others, grew during the recession. They were one of the categories of business that were recession-proof. Yeah, and I and I can definitely see, especially in this segment, you know, retail has been a been a tough area, you know, especially with online companies like Amazon just getting involved in everything and just mastering this art of economics, even maybe not even knowing what that term even means to them, but yet they are doing everything that economics states that you should be doing. So these are great examples, and I think if you're in the retail segment, like we talked about on the second leg, that you know, companies need to, you know, do a better job of, you know, coming up with content and a message that leverages their services, their products to those wants rather than needs. And in, in, in terms of the content, it has to be contextual. You know, it can't just be content itself. It has to be, there has to be strategy applying that content in the right way to connect with people at the right place, right time. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And, and let me take that and amplify it by talking about shopping malls. I introduced their challenges yeah. a while ago. Uh, shopping malls are having to adapt new strategies. For example, the anchor stores, the big stores at the ends of the mall, 
and some places are being converted into apartments or condominiums. Uh, malls are becoming uh, community centers with entertainment venues in addition to restaurants. Uh, they're becoming uh, senior centers in some areas. I'm familiar with a mall in downtown Charleston, West Virginia, where on the third floor, right beside the food court, the West Virginia Department of Senior Services has their offices. And so a whole lot of people walk through the mall, come up the escalators or the elevators to do whatever they do at the Department of Senior Services, have a cup of coffee, meet a few friends, spend some time, have an ice cream cone, whatever it is, uh, they've brought a part of life into the mall. You don't go to the mall just to buy things. You go to the mall for services. Uh, think about malls. You know, they have good locations. They have a road system for easy access. They have parking. They have utilities. They have that uh, building. Uh, and so people are looking at different strategies that leverage the malls and change what they do uh, to become lifestyle centers, really. Uh, that's a very different picture of the mall than when they started, which was, look at all these stores. You can go spend a Sunday afternoon, walk around, see what's new, shop. It's much easier to do that online now. So you, that's why they're having problems, but these are some of the solutions that mall operators are coming up with. Yeah, I would say that, you know, because, you know, you know, if you're a business, a small business, and you're in a mall, I mean, it's expensive. I mean, you know, to, you keep that store open day in, day out seven days a week in a mall can be quite expensive. And whereas if you're taking that online, you, you have less overhead and it's, uh, you know, it makes it easier for some companies probably to go that route. But I think with some of these strategies using the concept of, of the three lenses of economics, that if companies position their services and products together, not just focusing on the products itself, but, you know, also applying the services they have a chance, you know, to really, you know, build their business despite having a, 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 a larger overhead in terms of expense. Yeah, and I can see malls using these three strategies. Which self-image are you appealing to? And this is where demographics may play. Are you appealing to uh, millennials and you want it to be a center for millennials? Are you appealing to seniors? That's the self-image part of things. Are you providing an entertaining environment? And uh, for people who want to pamper themselves, are there opportunities there as well and provide it all under one roof, easily accessed indoors? Absolutely. Makes sense. And, and right now, I mean, what are some of the trends that you're seeing right now with malls? I mean, there are some malls that are actually, you know, like you said, that are struggling. We're seeing stores close. Some are, some are downsizing. Uh, what are some of the malls that you see that are doing well. Do you have any information on that? That Yeah, people- there's a number of strategies uh, being used by malls. Uh, for example, uh, a destination strategy is, is one. And it, it's always been a shopping destination, but now let's make it a destination for something else. So amusement parks. I mean, it's, it's a great piece of real estate for an amusement park, for example, and maybe there's still some shops there. Uh, other people are going with ethnic malls, and they're really targeting a certain group of customers and a certain self-image. Uh, some malls are becoming uh, classrooms, libraries, event center kind of locations. You may still have some stores. You may put some apartments or condos in, in the anchor spaces. Uh, some are becoming showrooms. Uh, let's uh, display items more than uh, typically in the past we had. Instead of crowded racks inside a door, uh, let's look more in terms of showrooms and showroom-type events. Think clothing, modeling, runways, that sort of stuff. Uh, art galleries and community gathering spaces are other strategies. And of course, some malls are using several of these strategies, whichever ones seem to target their customer base the best. 
but it's leading to a lot of creativity. I mean, you go back a ways, uh, the VHS and beta tapes and digital videos since, uh, everybody said would be the death knell of the movie theater, right? Yeah. It forced the movie theaters to adapt. And so the AMC movie chain in the last couple of years has spent hundreds of millions of dollars to change the movie-going experience. Uh, think about your man cave at home. Maybe you have a really comfortable chair and the kitchen's not too far away. But what they've done in AMC theaters is installed reclining leather seats, power-operated, uh, some of them even heated. They've put restaurant-quality food in the movie theater, and they've changed their drink menu to include uh, your favorite beverage, whatever that may be, adult or otherwise. And, you know, at home, you can't really do that in your man cave. You still have to do the cooking, and uh, delivery pizza is so-so. Uh, you have to get up to get yourself something to drink. But they've packaged all that and dramatically changed the movie-going experience. And, of course, it also led to the popularity of 3D movies and better sound systems and better projection systems and all that. So they are dramatically changing to take advantage of what customers want and what they want to buy. And movies are more popular than ever. That makes sense. So what I like to do, we're, we're going to be uh, winding down here uh, shortly and I wanted to, the listeners to find out some more information about uh, you, Brian, you know, some, you know, where they can find you. What are some of the projects that you're working on? If they are interested in the more on Meekonomics, where can they get more information and so forth? Sure. Uh, the book is titled Meekonomics 101. And it's available print and digital online at Amazon and, and other locations, the usual locations. I have a website, Meekonomics101.com, no spaces in there. Meconomics101.com, and I'm uh, very active on LinkedIn, so people can look up my LinkedIn profile. I uh, would love to connect with them. Uh, I've been posting a blog about weekly in the last two years, and uh, many of them are about Meconomics in bite-sized chunks. So several places people can go for more information. would love to hear from them as well. Great. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up. And Brian, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today to be on the show and you provided some valuable information for business sustainability for businesses of all sizes with the concept of Meekonomics. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in today. And again, you can find us on Facebook at Sustainable Success. And this is a wrap, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 11 a.m. East Coast time, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for another episode of Sustainable Success. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Sustainable Success. Be sure to join Chris Salem and his guests every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Have an incredible week. motivated be inspired join us today voice america influencers